and then even I switched it today. We're doing it all in the morning, and then it's like, you know what, we'll switch it. Because why not? It hasn't been going over very well. Um, everyone just, whatever, but it's going over, I guess, as well as I expected. Uh, we were talking about, we were calling it unsung apostolic attributes for the Sunday school teachers that haven't been there. Um, and But uh, apostolic said it simply means relating to the apostles and uh, we call ourselves apostolic because we preach and we believe the same message that they did in the book of acts and normally when people talk about being apostolic we think about certain things we think about speaking in tongues maybe the gifts of the spirit and prophecy or baptism in jesus name or uh, miracle signs and wonders and, and these sorts of things, uh, the big flashy things that we all want to see and we all expect um, to see. But there are some lesser known attributes that you can find as you look through the book of Acts and you look at the apostles and you look at the early church. And there's certain things that maybe go overlooked as you read through the, the, the stories because we kind of go from story to story. You go from miracle to miracle, outpouring of the Holy Ghost, outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And we kind of just... I don't know about you, but those little verses in between, sometimes you just kind of skim. And so, um, but there's, there's these, these attributes that we can find in, in the book of Acts. And um, they're maybe not as glamorous as the ones that we've mentioned or the things that generally go along with being apostolic. Um, but I believe that if we embody these attributes that we've been talking about, the other ones will follow. And Paul... He's uh, probably one of the most well-known of the apostles. And so where we've been basing all this so far has been in Acts chapter 20. And he's speaking to the leaders in the church in Ephesus. He's saying goodbye as he goes somewhere else. And in his farewell speech, it's in Acts 20, 18 to 21. And he says, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you all season. So we talked, then we went over that, we talked about being faithful, we talked about being consistent in all seasons and all times of our life. And then he said, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, we need to be humble if we're going to be apostolic. We need to be able to serve with humility. And we said that nobody cares what servants think. We need to not have pride and get upset and offended at, at everything. And we talked about Going along with that, many tears, he says. And there's tears of compassion, there's tears of intercession, there's tears of, of hurt that come when you're living for God. And um, last week we talked about temptations and trials um, which come. And he said, which befell me by the lying weight of the Jews. In verse 20, he goes on to say, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord, Je Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying goodbye to these leaders and he's describing his conduct or his behavior during his time with the church in Ephesus. And if we're going to call ourselves apostolic, it would be good to look at verses like this to um, find the way that they behaved, the way that they acted, the way they conducted themselves. And use the word of God like a mirror and see if that is reflected um, in our own lives. So we've talked about so far faithfulness and consistency. We've talked about humility 
We talked about tears that come, and, and last week, again, trials and temptations. So this week, we're going to look at verse 20. And it says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house. We're going to call this one, Don't Hold Back. Paul, he spent three years or so with the church in Ephesus. And during that time, he's been faithful. He's been consistent, which is the foundation of the rest of these things. You can't be apostolic if you can't be faithful or consistent. That's, that's the ground zero. You've got to do that. I mean, you got to get the Holy Ghost first. But after that, you've got to be faithful. You can't be in and out and up and down all over the place and expect God to just work through you all the time. You've got to be faithful. You've got to be consistent. And he's shown humility. He served without pride. He's shed many tears, perhaps some in frustration, um, maybe intercession or compassion, and also some probably came along with some hurts as well. And he's gone through many trials and temptation. Um, temptations those were brought on him by others. And even though all these things are happening, even though they most likely frustrated him, I know they would frustrate me, they would probably frustrate most of us, and hurt him and they put him through trials and all this. Paul did not, in spite of all this, he did not keep anything back that was profitable to them. Because this wasn't about Paul. This was about the church. And I'll be honest with you because there's no other way. But ministry is frustrating. You spend hours working on things, planning events, studying something out, preparing a message, seeking God, making sure you have something to say, and then people don't show up. Or they do, and they don't care. They ignore you. They don't respond. They refer another guy down the road. They complain. They attack. They lash out. Nothing's ever good enough. All kinds of things. Ministry in any com capacity is like this. Teaching Sunday school is like this. Teaching home Bible studies. You go to someone's house, for months. And they're like, yeah, it's not for me. Don't tell me that's not frustrating. Well, youth, my word, I'm glad we got out when we did. I wouldn't even want to touch it now with some of the stuff. Pastoring, missions, all of it, anything you do, there's going to be some, some frustrations that come with it because you're dealing with people and people are special. And it can be annoying and it can be frustrating and some days it can be downright depressing. And some days you wonder why I even bother? What even is the point? And that's the way it goes when you're dealing with people. But according to Paul, the apostolic way and the apostolic thing to do is to just keep going. Don't hold anything back that is profitable. And that means no matter how frustrating it gets, how annoying it gets, how depressing it gets, just keep on doing it. Keep on teaching. Keep on reaching. Keep on preaching. Keep on praying. Keep on working. And keep on building. And our natural reaction to the frustrations of working with people is just to abandon them. You don't, you don't want to listen? Then go ahead. You don't want to go to heaven? Go to the other place. Have at her. <laughs> been tempted to say that. You want to go there? Go ahead. Don't want to listen? Fine. That's... <laughs> well... You don't care. Why should I? I haven't said these things. I've thought them many times. 
Why is that on now? Now you know. <laughs> it's tempting to not do that. Or to do that, sorry. But the apostolic, the apostolic thing to do is to just keep building. Don't hold anything back that is profitable. And sometimes we just want to stop because they don't want to listen or they don't seem to be listening. But we need to keep going and keep sharing the word with them and keep studying it because it does benefit you as you're studying something out as well. If you know something is profitable, if you know something is good for the body, for the kingdom, don't hold it back. And generally when someone says, you know, I'm not going to hold back, something nasty is going to come out. Generally, that means they're going to rip you apart. Well, they'll, they'll let you have it or they'll destroy you. But the biblical thing to not hold back is the profitable stuff. You know, sometimes you feel like you should do something. Sometimes you feel like God's leading you to do something. And God's asking you maybe to step out in faith. Maybe it's to pray for someone. Maybe it's to talk to someone or encourage someone to reach for them. Maybe it's to step out of the aisle during worship. Or maybe even to go to the front. Or even go to the altar. Maybe, maybe it's to pray aloud or to lean for joy. Maybe it's to teach Sunday school or to give a certain amount in the offering. Or maybe it's even to go someplace or to start a Bible study or any number of things. And then we talk ourselves out of it. Or we let someone else do it. Or we wait for so-and-so to go to the altar first. And we'll let somebody else give in that offering. Or we'll let somebody else go to that place and pray for some God to send someone else. Or somebody else can go start that Bible study or that ministry. We'll pawn it all. You know, this, this is what the church should do. This thing. There, I pass it out to someone else. So God spoke to you about it. You do it. Yes. I've got enough things to do. Amen. We'll pass our idea off on someone else and expect them to do it. You know what you're doing? You're holding back that which is profitable. God has a calling and a ministry for every single person in this church. Amen. If you don't believe me, there's some, some scriptures. Verse Peter 4 and 10, and As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The English standard words it like this, As each have received a gift, use it to serve one another. Each person's received something. You've received the Holy Ghost. You've received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Romans 12, 4 to 8 says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. We don't all do the same thing. He says, For we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts. We all have gifts. We're all different members. We all have different gifts. Differing, They're different according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy. If that's your gift, you better use it. According to the proportion of faith or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. If you're going to serve, if he's calling you to serve, serve. If that's your gift, do it. Or he that teaches on teaching. If you can teach, teach. Don't sit there, teach. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. If you can preach, come have her at her. Come on, let me know. Everyone's tired of hearing me anyway. He that giveth 
Let him do with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Everyone's got a gift. Use it. So what he's saying. Well, we're just getting started, ladies and gentlemen. 1 Corinthians 12, 20. But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Jumping down a few verses. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some of the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly um, teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, and diversities of tongues. That's a whole bunch of stuff there. Well, basically, what he's saying is we're all connected. We're all a body. We're all connected. We all have a job and a responsibility to the church, to the body. And for us to hold that back, that's the wrong thing. Amen. We're doing a disservice to God and a disservice to each other. Yes. I know people are frustrating. Trust me. I know. I know people are mean and rude and don't care and they're selfish. I know it can get annoying, but if the church is ever going to grow the way that she should, it's not going to be through people holding back those things that are profitable. It's going to be through us serving and ministering to each other and holding each other up in prayer and giving to each other and loving each other and supporting each other. And not just saying it and doing it to the ones that you like, but doing it to everyone. From the beginning of time, we have been called and told to minister or to serve. Adam was placed in the garden in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. He gave him something to do. He gave him work to do. God could have made that garden to self-maintain itself, like to take care of itself, but instead he made it a place that required human attention and work. And paradise is not a place of laziness, relaxing or self-indulgence, but a place with divine purpose and service, knowing what we're called to do and doing it. Nothing brings more peace in our lives than that. Nothing brings chaos and uneasiness more than having that feeling that you're not in the right place or doing the right thing for God. After all, when we first meet God in the Bible, what is he doing? He's moving. He's working. He's creating. So to be made in his image is to be made for work. To be able to do something. Not everyone agrees with that. That's fine. When God redeems and saves a human being, he places that person into a new garden, the body known as the church. And like the Garden of Eden, the church is not a place of spontaneous perfection. I think we know that. It requires continuous dressing and keeping by the believers. Every member has a vital ministry in the church. But we have churches filled with people who are holding back and just taking everything in, soaking it all in, take, take, take. It's, it's wild. Everyone wants everything to be done, but nobody wants to do it. Well, see why I switched it. Acts 20 and 20 again. He says, I've kept back nothing that was profitable to you, but I've showed you. And I've taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul said, I've showed you. I've done this. You've seen me 
do it. I've been an example for this. Whatever needed to be done, I did it. Whatever needed to be showed, I showed you. I taught you how to do it. I taught you publicly, and I taught you privately. I've done all these things, and the church is never going to be healthy or strong or truly apostolic if we continue to hold back what God wants to do in our lives. People have complained that church is dead. Well, hello? Wake up. Get with it. The gifts aren't operating like they used to. Well, I got news for you. He works through us. If they're not operating, it's not the spirit that's not working. It's us. People are being filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, bring someone that needs it and pray them through. Attendance is down. Well, fill your car and bring some people. That's what some people have been doing. Stop holding back. That which is profitable. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about gifts, just in case we're not sure. There's a lot of gifts in the Bible. Um, why is this working? First, we're going to talk about equipping gifts. These are gifts that God gives to the church. <sighs> That's all right. Well, Brenda and my wife are with me. <laughs> Linda, all right. Equipping gifts. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11 says, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Um, this deals, and talk, deals with and talks about ministries that are filled or done or appointed by God himself. This isn't by selection. You don't get to pick who these people are. Um, this isn't by politics or people appointing them. Sometimes people will try to do that and that ends up badly. But gifts and ministries that are given by Jesus to the church. These are gifts from him to the church. He's the one who gives them. I'm a gift to you. Amen. It's in the Bible. I'm a present. <laughs> Some of you want to return me? That's fine. You didn't keep your receipt. <laughs> the Bible says that apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, yes. teachers... They're gifts. And God calls some specifically to each of these things. Sometimes more than one. And that's his gift to the church to help grow and strengthen the church. Apostles and prophets generally impact the whole church body, just not local. And the local church generally more. Um, apostles are what we call missionary types. They start churches. They bring the gospel to an unchurched or unreached area. Um, think about Brother Min years ago. Um, we got our, our friends, the Sullys, they've gone to Senegal, opened up a new work. We got our friends, um, another friend, the Blackmans, they've gone to Guinea, started a new work there. Um, the, the word apostle refers to one who is sent um, as an ambassador. Um, then we got prophets, they speak specific words to the churches or individuals. A prophet is one who speaks for or in the place of God. And while this includes foretelling the future, it is primarily forthtelling the mind of God or just revealing something to someone. The New Testament church expected prophets to be among its members. According to 1 Corinthians 14, prophecy is intended to build up the church by edifying, by exhorting, and comforting the believer. Verse 13, he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification, to exhort, exhortation, and to comfort. And it's supposed to also... Um, in verse 24, 
25, it says, um, But if all prophesy, there come one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. Verse 25, And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. And so prophecy is also sometimes used to convince Maybe judge and reveal the heart of, of a sinner to lead them to God. Not The prophecy is not used to make people feel bad or to beat them up or to air their dirty laundry in front of everyone else. That's abuse. And it shouldn't be done. It's to bring people to repentance like Jesus with the woman at the well. And that sort of thing. An evangelist is someone who's focused outwards toward the lost. You think of you know, crusades or people praying others through the Holy Ghost, teaching home Bible studies, reaching for people. We call them soul winners a lot of the time. The word evangelist refers to one who proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. The task of an evangelist is to serve as a spokesperson of the church in declaring the salvation message to the world. An evangelist's role is similar to that of the apostle. Paul tells Timothy... Uh, he says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. An evangelist does not establish new congregations or exercise authority over lo local church leaders. They come and they, they help build up. They reach for the lost. And while everyone in the church is called to evangelize, the evangelist is specifically gifted by God for this, this work. And then we've got pastor or teacher. Sometimes people split them up. Um, but however you read that, um, it's up to you. Generally, this is a local church type thing. They strengthen locally, they train, they teach, they equip, they guide, they serve in the local church. The word pastors and teachers are two descriptive titles for the same office. And this isn't um, glamorous, but teaching is the primary method by which the pastor feeds the flock and therefore, a pastor must be apt to teach. And all the listings of a bishop or a pastor that must be blameless, the husband of one wife. I did that one. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given hospitality, and apt to teach. They're expected to be able to teach. And First um, Timothy, the second Timothy two and twenty-four: The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, and apt to teach, patient. So without skill, uh, as a, without skill as a teacher, all the other qualities and abilities of a pastor won't do much. I know it's not the most glamorous of ministries, teaching. I'm sure you would rather me get up here and spit and hoop and holler more than I do. I can't do that from time to time. Um, but pastor means a shepherd, refers to caring, leadership, and protection, and you need to teach to do that, to prepare and Stuff. And so the New Testament, the titles pastor, teacher, bishop, and elder all used interchangeably to refer to the same, um, the same position. God gives this to the church so the believers could be equipped for their works of service to the body. That's the pastor's main role, is to teach and to equip the saints. Except for the evangelists, the main purpose of these other ministries is not necessarily to win the lost, but to perfect or to complete and mature those who have been born Again, and it's not the most exciting thing, but it's necessary. A pastor's primary job and calling isn't to babysit or to hold your hand or to design bulletins or slides or mow the lawn or run bake sales or yard sales or make sure there's a live stream and the Facebook page is working. 
or to rearrange chairs or whatever, but the main primary calling of a pastor is to teach and to equip the church and empower the saints and make sure that you have the tools that you have to reach our world. Equip believers, then fulfill the ministry of the church. In Ephesians 4 and 12, this is what the ministries were given for, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so, obviously, all these different ministries that we mentioned so far are also members of the body. But to those who believe it's the pastor's job to fill the church with new converts, do not understand the proper role of equipping this equipping gift, and it endangers the healthy function of the church. Sorry if that hurt your feelings. But we're all supposed to reach. Yes. Amen. We're expecting one person to do it all. You're going to be sorely disappointed. We're all supposed to reach. Yes. Yes. And it's my job to make sure that we know what we believe, and we know how to, to reach, and we know how to follow God, and we are ready to do that. That's, that's the Bible. If you don't like it, then... I don't know. <laughs> God's goal for these specific callings is that through them the church may come to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God. That's Ephesians 4 and 13. And full maturity like Jesus. It's dangerous to be childish in our faith, so we need to grow, we need to mature. If we're childish and easily swayed, uh, we'll be deceived and upset. And so we know these we know these, these ministries. We know that. And we expect them to not hold back. Right? If a pastor holds back preaching and teaching what he's supposed to, the church is going to be in trouble. If the apostle holds back, they don't go. And they don't reach, or they don't preach, or they're supposed to, a prophet holds back, no one's ever going to hear anything, if um, the evangelist holds back, no one's going to be one, the church is going to be in trouble if these hold back, that which is profitable, I think we can agree on that, we expect them not to hold back that which is profitable, we expect them to build up the church, but those aren't the only gifts in the church, there's also um, spiritual gifts, and so Jesus gives the church gifts of leadership to help equip us to make sure that we're ready but he also gives gifts through the Holy Ghost to help us fulfill his goal of reaching the world. And it's not based on our talents, it's not based on our abilities, or our lineage, or whatever. It's based on the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians, uh, I got a lot of verses. 1 Corinthians 12 and 7 says, um, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. Withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. This is the same Holy Ghost working, given different gifts. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self-same Spirit. It's the same Holy Ghost working through all of these gifts. Dividing to every man severally as he will. So he lists nine gifts that are given to the church to improve the church, to make it better. Um, and you can divide these nine into three groups because we like to do that. Um, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. We call them revelation and gifts. They provide some insight from the mind of God to the mind of the believer. The gifts of faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles. We call them power gifts because they're the flashy ones. 
And everyone likes, you know, faith, healing, miracles. They produce supernatural events, um, prophecy, um, messages in tongues, interpretation of tongues. Those are communication gifts, providing God's direct messages to a specific person or group of people. And I don't know if I need to go through all those. I think you know what they are. I'll just skip ahead here. Now I'll go through them. Yeah, you're here anyway. Why not? The word of... This is a conversation in my head out loud. The word of wisdom supernaturally discloses the mind, the purpose, the will of God for a specific time and situation. That's what that is. Um... The word of knowledge reveals information about a specific person, event, or situation, that something that was hidden. And uh, the word of wisdom provides understanding for it. The word of knowledge reveals something that maybe wasn't known. Um, the word, word means that it's a specific thing. It's just a glimpse of what God knows and sees. Like if you take a word out of a story, you don't know the whole story. So God might show you something about a situation. That's the word of um, of knowledge, and then you need the word of wisdom how to deal with a situation most of the time. Discerning of spirits is considered a revelation gift because it provides a glimpse into the spiritual world, the ability to tell the difference between, um, you know, God, angels, evil spirits, or just plain old flesh, attitudes and motivations and all that. The word of faith means Confidence, belief, and assurance, persuasion, or trustworthiness of the body. You know, that um, It's often God will, you know, God gives us all faith. You know, it's impossible to please God without faith, but sometimes someone will be used to just have that extra boost of faith to believe in um, something that's going to happen. Um, you know, often people will give a word of faith. Um, you know, before they pray for some people to be healed, like at a crusade or something, someone to give a word of faith that everyone, you know, pray over the, the group and that sort of thing. Um, because, anyway, as a gift, faith may be described as a tool by which the promises of God are transformed into actions in our world. Like the other gifts, it's powered by the Spirit is not dependent on human abilities or talents. It operates as God desires, when God desires, and through whom He desires. The gifts of healing are another way that God provides restoration for the sick. It's, it's plural there, gifts of healings. And that means there's multiple healings, multiple kinds of healings. There's spiritual, emotional, physical, all these sorts of things, different diseases and different issues that need healing. A miracle goes above natural law. we got things that are set in stone naturally. A miracle is something that cannot be explained naturally. So we call it supernatural. It goes above and beyond that. A spiritual gift to bring about miracles through and for the benefit of the church. This is what it's for. It's not so you can pray and have a million dollars extra in your bank account unless you're giving it all to the church. I don't really see how that's benefiting the church. <laughs> it's um, to, All these gifts are given to benefit the church, not to benefit us or to promote us or our abilities, but to benefit the church and build up the church. And then we got the communication um, gifts. We've got uh, messages in tongues. I think we all have seen that happen. Um, so God speaks a message through someone and, um, and that needs to be interpreted. Someone else, sometimes the same person, sometimes someone else will interpret that so it makes sense to us. And the gift of prophecy is God just speaking a word through someone. All right. 
We're all over the place, aren't we? First Corinthians 12 and 11 says, But all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. And so it's for the building of us all. It's for the ministry to us all as a whole, as a body. But not all of us, sorry, but all of us may not necessarily be used in each way. There's gifts on that list that I've never been used in. There's gifts on that list that you probably have never been used in. I don't know of anybody personally that's been used in all of them. It's generally how it is, because if one person has all these gifts, then it becomes all about that person. But it's a spirit working through all of them. The spirit working through all of us. So diversity is necessary for the functioning of the church. In verse 12, he says, For as the body is one, and has many members, and all members of that all, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So if the church is going to be strong. If the church is going to be apostolic, then we need to be operating in these gifts. These are gifts that God has given to the church. We can't be holding back. If God's given you these gifts, if you've been using these gifts, we need to continue to allow him to use us. If we are not operating in these gifts, why? If these gifts of the Spirit are not in operation in our church, why? Do we not have the Holy Ghost? We do. The Holy Ghost gives these gifts. Are we not praying? Are we not allowing God to work? Are we quenching the Spirit? Like the Bible says, are we not willing? Are we afraid? Or are we not being sensitive to the moving and leading of the Holy Ghost? There's got to be a reason. If, if it's not working, if the gifts aren't being used and being in operation, there's got to be a reason, because I think we've all got the Holy Ghost. We've all got the same Spirit, and these are gifts that are given to work and to build up the church. The gifts of the Spirit need to be working in the local church. How can we call ourselves apostolic, then, if they are not? We're not any different than the rest. If we are holding back and not letting the Holy Ghost work through us, that is an issue. Don't hold back. Oh, boy. And then we got service gifts. These are the gifts so far uh, mentioned are some of the only some of the gifts that God gives to the church. Sometimes we hear the word ministry, and these are the things that we think of, and that's it. Sometimes it's the first four or five, and sometimes it's those gifts of the Spirit. And we may not feel called to the five things earlier: apostle, pro, uh, prophet, all that. We may not feel that we're used in the nine things that we just mentioned. And those aren't everyday type of gifts usually anyway. You know, we don't sit around in our living room waiting to be used in the gifts, waiting to be used, you know, the gifts of the sermon. Okay, now, I read God. Now can I give a message in tongues? Now can I? Can I prophesy now? Can I go now? We're not generally waiting around to do it. It's when the Holy Ghost works and moves through us. It's not, you know, happening all the time. You know, especially something like the interpretation of tongues. If there's no message, you know, <laughs> you're waiting for a specific moment for it, it to happen. But there's a ministry for for all of us. Um, various gifts to the church God gives. Um, what we talk about is almost always discussed within, within the context of unity. When God talks about giving gifts to the church, it's about us working together. I know this is long. I told you it was going to be. We're getting through it. But we are to work together in harmony 
in unity. A quick example, soul winning. If someone comes into the church, who won them? Right? You may think, oh, this person, they, they won them. Maybe they brought them. Okay. Um, someone invites someone. Then they come in and someone establishes a relationship with that person. This is part of winning someone. Someone teaches a Bible study to them. It may not be the same person that brought them in. The singers sing, the musicians play, the worshipers worship. It creates an atmosphere for God to work. And then they feel the presence of God. The preacher preaches. Maybe they respond to it. A prayer warrior prays for them. There's all kinds of things happening when somebody's one to God. It takes all of us working you know, together. We can say, oh, I'm not a soul winner, but we all work together. A fully functioning body is completely dependent on the proper operation of a bunch of smaller structures. 1 Corinthians 12 and 12 says, For the body is one and hath many members. It was not until recently that we knew how many members a body has. The adult human body contains about one trillion cells for every kilogram or 2.2 pounds of body weight. So do the math. I don't want to do the math for you. You know how much you weigh. <laughs> That's a lot of cells. <laughs> Some of us maybe more than others. Or less. There are more than 210 types of cells in our body, each with its own unique function. And when cells of the same type cluster together, they form living tissue. And in turn, organs are formed from tissues that work together to perform a specific activity. Sometimes... What will happen is a cell will cease to perform its proper role in the body and instead begin to relentlessly multiply. And these cells may invade and take over healthy tissue, and that's how tumors are formed. Well, they will flood the body with dangerous, abnormal cells. And a single cell not performing its proper function can eventually lead to the death of the entire body. When we are not working together, that is bad news for the body. One cell, one member is not working the way that it should or working to what it's called to do. The body is in danger. So all parts are necessary. Even at the cellular level, the health of the body is dependent on every member faithfully performing its given function. Those members who seem to be the least important are, are, are indispensable. We read this already, I think. First um, Corinthians 12 and 21. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. Every member of the body is necessary, whether you think they are or not. You may think and you may feel like, you know, I'm not important, I'm not valuable, I don't do this or that, but you are. In the body of Christ, and the church is the opposite of the world. Greater honor is given to members we may think are lacking. But Jesus said, the last shall be first. It says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that which are mighty. The body may be able to survive losing a non-functional member, but it cannot remain healthy and fully effective without every member fulfilling its proper 
function. Jesus made the point of saying, if your eye offends you or a hand offends you, remove you. It's better to make it in maimed or blind than to not make it at all. And so we need to have no division in the body. While it's easy to distinguish Sherman's arm from his ear, we usually do not distinguish Sherman's arm from Sherman. If Sherman's arm does something, we blame him. He did it. If Linda hears something, if her ears hear something, Linda heard it. It's impossible for Sherman's arm to do anything without several parts of his body working together. And Linda's ear is deaf without its various connections to the body. We do not arrest the hand of a thief. Let's take the hands of jail. You don't, <laughs> you don't give the legs of a runner the metal. You don't give um, the larynx of a singer the award. You give it to the whole body. The members of the church can be classified by office calling, gift, or whatever. Even as the cells of the body are being classified by different functions. But the body is the undivided wholeness of the cells in the church. Is the un or the united totality of its members. There is no division. There can be no division. For as the body is one and has many members. And all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. The Bible says. All members must care for one another. All the cells of the human body work together for the survival and well-being of the body. If the body is healthy, it provides just the right environment for the health uh, of all its members. All believers work together for the well-being and advancement of the church. The life of each member of the body depends on the life of the church. The church ministers to itself, providing for the needs of each member through the service of each member. The body takes care of itself. Your hand puts food in your mouth. Your mouth chews it. Your body digests it. You clean, you sleep, or you sleep, you exercise, you eat. You do things to take care of yourself. If one member suffers, we all suffer with it. If one is honored, we all rejoice with it. First Corinthians 12 and 26, for when one member suffer, all members suffer with it. One member honored, be honored, all the members rejoice with it. If you struggle, I struggle. And so in order for us to work, there needs to be diversity in ministry. If we're all doing the same thing, it's not going to work. We need to, there needs to be some diversity. First uh, Corinthians 12, we mentioned a lot of it, but 12, 29 to 30 presents a series of rhetorical questions related to the gifts. He says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to all these questions is no. We don't all do the same thing, or if we did, nothing would get done. If we all wanted to preach every Sunday, we would never get out of here, and we're almost there now. I'm almost done. You can come back. Thank you. There's different work, there's different duties, and there's responsibilities we all have. But all are important because without one, everything else fails and struggles. I can show up to preach or teach, but if nobody comes, I'll just go home, I guess. Nobody prays, and nobody worships, and nobody gives, and nobody does any of these things, their body struggles. If we emphasize one gift at the expense of minimizing the others, we deny the very purpose for which the gifts are given, which is the benefit of the whole body of Christ. And so we need to embrace our ministry 
what God has called us to do. To be truly apostolic, we need to have that attitude that Paul had. In Acts 20 and 20, how he kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. And I know this has been long, and I know it's been overwhelming. All that stuff about different ministries, and there's all kinds of things we didn't mention, different needs that are specific to our church and our community that need to be met. But the main thing is, the main point, if you take anything away, if you remember anything at all, is that we have been guilty of holding back that which is profitable. We haven't always given what we could. There's been times when we've taken it easy when we have not stretched or prayed or fasted or gave or whatever like we could have. And the church struggles when that happens. Because what happens when part of the body doesn't do what it's supposed to. If you have one leg that doesn't work like the other, you develop a limp. And your body shifts and adjusts. It will actually end up slightly deformed because it has to overcompensate. And when we hold back that which is profitable, the body has to overcompensate for that. If somebody's not doing what God is calling them to do, the body has to make up for that. And that puts unnecessary strain on other parts and other members. And we end up with folks who are completely burned out and exhausted. Well, the rest of us are totally fine. So much so that they stop doing what it is that they're doing. And it becomes a never-ending cycle. And now they're burned out, so someone else takes over. And they're the one doing everything. And then they get burned out. And then the next person gets burned out. And the body never grows the way it should. The body's never as healthy as it should. The church is truly healthy when everyone is doing what they're called by God to do. And that means we have to listen to Him. That means we have to hear that calling. So we're going to pray here in a minute. I know that was all over and I taught a lot and rushed through it. But I want us to ask God today, is there something you're calling me to do? Is there a gift that you've given me that I haven't been using? You're calling me to missions. You're calling me to prayer. You're calling me to Sunday school. You're calling me to help with the media, or to clean, or to yard work, or prophesy, or gifts of help, or any sorts of things. To be used in the gifts of the Spirit. What do you want from me? I would like us today to ask Him to surrender to Him, to let Him work and lead us so that we can be healthy. So that we can be strong, we can grow and thrive. And that is the apostolic way, not to hold back. Whatever I can do to be profitable to the kingdom, let me do it. However I can support the church, however I can support the body, let me do it. If we are part of the church, we have been given, um, we've been gifted for the work of the ministry. God will never change his mind or take away our, our ministries. He's chosen us to fulfill that ministry because it pleased him and that was, that's his will. And so we're going we're gonna to come and pray. We're going to open the altar. We pray your seat, whatever. But let's just pray. God, what is it, whatever it is that you want from me, what do you want, what are you asking of me? 
I know some of us, we've been just going and we've given everything we can and we're tired and we're burnt out and we're exhausted. Some of us, maybe we haven't been giving as much as we could. Maybe we've been holding back some things that are profitable. Maybe we haven't been letting God work in our lives like, like he wants to. So let's, let's take a moment. Let's pray that today. Let's pray that God would speak to us and show us and use us going forward. In Jesus' name. <clears throat>